Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. On today's special episode, we will be having a look at Dunfermline Athletic as part of our monthly series, looking at famous meetings and famous players to play for both clubs and all the clubs in the Scottish Championship. Joining me to do so, David Forrest. David, are you well? Yes, I'm well. Yep, looking forward to it. Um, always a delight every month going through the Thistle archive and looking at how bad we are against whatever team we feature this month. So, you know, that this month will be no different. And joining us from the Dunfermline point of view is Ross Hart. Ross, thanks very much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thanks guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. No problem at all. We're good. We're, uh, as as you've just heard, fatigued. This is our second second recording of of the nights you'll have to put up with us, I'm afraid. Uh, Ross, just before we start, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your connections to Dunfermline? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm a lifelong Dunfermline fan. I've been going since probably the age of six, seven. First game was against Clyde. You'll be happy to know Dunfermline won that game 5-0 as well. Back in 1994, so I've been going ever since then. My dad's been a lifelong fan since the Alcyon days of the 1960s. Luckily, for the last 10 years or so, I've actually been working for the Dunfermline Press. Um, I'm the sports reporter there, so I get to cover the club week to week, as well as obviously Kelly Hearts and, and various others as well. So it's it's kind of an interesting one. I get the unique insight, you know, speaking to the management and the players um, week to week, which is great when it's going well, but when it's not going quite so well, it can be it can be quite challenging. But it's, um, I'm very privileged um, to be able to do that. Good stuff. Yeah, 90 seconds in, and you're mentioning Clyde getting pumped. We're off to a good start. Um, regular listeners will know that we're just going to chat about some games, some Good games for Dunferno, some good games for Thistle, and then we'll go on to some players a bit later on. Ross, I'll start with you, and you can you can talk about a favourable game for Dunferno, a, a memorable win over Thistle in, in your lifetime. There's been a few, but I think probably for me, the one that sticks out is probably one that a lot of Dunferno fans will default to, and that's the, the Scottish Cup tie back in 2004 um, on our run to the, the final. Um, I'm sure you guys probably remember it well. It was it was an interesting one because we, we'd done well. We'd, we'd beaten Dundee United and Clyde again. Um, they, they're back up. Um, we, beat, we beat them in the, in the fourth round, and then we drew um, yourselves at Firhill, which at the time it looked as though it was a favourable draw because you were struggling in the league a little bit. Um, but Dunfermline has had a bit of a bad time um, at Firhill. I think earlier in that season we'd lost 4-1 away to you in the league game. And the season before that we'd lost 4-0. And this is from the team were going well under under Jimmy Calderwood. There was a wee bit of nerves there. But Dunfermline played really well on the day. I remember Richie Burns scored early, which settled nerves. And then we got a second goal for half-time and then sealed it in the second half. With a goal which always will always stick in my memory because it summed up the partnership between Stevie Crawford and Craig Brewster. Stevie Crawford nodded the ball away from an opponent on the left-hand side of the pitch, instinctively didn't even have to look up, played it into the was middle of the goal and Brewster was there to nod it beyond the goalkeeper to make it 3-0 and, and put us through to the semis, which for me, that was um, the first time I'd seen Dunfermline you know, reach um, a Scottish Cup semi-final. It was going to be the first time I'd seen them um, go to Hamden and of course it was the first... Scottish Cup final that we got to in 1968 in the end. So that's certainly one um, that, that's always a, a special memory for me. I think this will be a sore one for Thistle fans because we've actually not uh, been to Hamden for a semi-final since uh, 2002. So this was probably our best chance. We've only lost a, a handful of quarterfinals in both the Scottish and League Cups since as well. And this was probably our best chance because the, the quarterfinals we have lost have been to Rangers and to Aberdeen away and Hearts away. I'm just looking at the, the Thistle archive again, our trusty source for this one. It's it's a really bad day at the office for Thistle with um, a red card as well and penalties conceded. It was a, a tough season for us with Derek White and, and Jerry Breton in the dugout. David, do you have anything to add on this one? No, I, I do remember that uh, Dunfermline side that run at the cup final very fondly. They were a great side at the time and yeah, it's, it is one of those ones where you do think, you know, what if? What, what if we'd, we'd won? We'd, who was it you played in the semi-final again? It was Inverness Cali and we, we went behind in the, the first game. Um, Paul Ritchie scored, um, but Craig Brewster equalised. And then we went up to Patoji for the, the replay. Um, and then we went behind in that game as well. But 
fortunately managed to come back and, and win through in the end um, with Barry Nicholson scoring one of the, the best individual goals I've seen from a Dunfermline player. It, they were obviously first division at the time um, under John Robertson, but they were a good side. But you would have fancied, whether it was ourselves or, or yourselves that had got through, you would have fancied your chances of of getting through to the to the final. Um, and as I say, we went into it on the back of a rate doing from you the last time we were at Firhill. So it certainly wasn't one that I remember taking for granted, for sure. David, do you have a, a game that you've maybe not enjoyed against Inferman in, in the recent past? I'm sure there's plenty to choose from as we were just talking about. I guess the ambassador, you are spoiling us tonight with all these terrible defeats to Inferman. Uh, um, I mean, it's like choosing which one you want broke, isn't it? It's um, it's not great. Um, the the one the one that sticks in in my mind um, I, uh, that I really remember was. The um league the league cup game against uh, Dunfermline in twenty 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 one I can never remember how what, was it twenty 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 one or was it the season after following season July twenty one twenty one twenty two season yeah twenty one twenty two season we came in and we had a back partnership of uh, Stephen Bell and Tamil Weir at back and I think it must have been what like ten fifteen minutes in. I think it was Todorov just realised they can't move, they cannot run and wouldn't it just be a laugh if we just lumped the ball over them and watched them try and chase it and they did and they scored and then they thought we'll just do it again and I think we were 4-0 down at half time. It basically ended Tamil Weir's career at Thistle to be honest. They obviously had long layoffs um, with injuries and stuff like that and this is him getting back to back to the first team and after that game it became rapidly apparent that we needed to sign someone else and he didn't really play for us that much after that at all he was I think he was released quite soon afterwards wasn't he but uh, yeah a, a horrendous game and it was also they were shooting towards the big end in the first half I think I was with you for this game and your usual perch right next to the goal so you got to see all the goals rolling in and you got like a, a box office front row seat for Tamalwear and Stephen Bell getting sent to the shadow realm I, I was a dreadful dreadful day <laughs> I we were 3-1 down at half time they're even then 4-1 down after 53 minutes it didn't take long for Dunferman to add to that I'll correct you we weren't in our usual seats here David because we were given allocated seats because I believe this was the first competitive game back for Hill for what would have been 15 or 16 months after COVID. And it started pretty well. Brian Graham put his 16, uh, go, a goal up after 16 minutes. And I think we were positive getting into this season off the back of the League 1 win. But my word, the back four we fielded that day. I like Kevin Holt, but Kevin Holt played left back. You've mentioned O'Ware and Stephen Bell, who weren't really seen much again after that. And Richard Foster was the right back. And I'm a, an overweight man in my 20s who's only exercises golf three times a week. But I would fancy my chances in a foot race against at least half of them. That was that was a tough, I, tough day. I remember because that was the one um, where well, you got your allocated seat and you weren't allowed to move from it. And I swear to God that every one of those games, I was in row A or row B, like as in with no roof ahead of me. And it, invariably, it always there was always showers. Even at like 25 degree rain weather, there was always like a wee bit of a shower just to just to humble me and make sure I remember, you know, the bad times. You also got like Richard Foster running the line past you. Um, you, you couldn't get a better seat in the house to watch him. Yeah, it was a 665 attendance at Farhill that day. Uh, Ross, do you have One any memories? One away from the magic number. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Ross, do you have any memories of that day and of that season as well? We'll have a chat about the season because we obviously went on to have quite different seasons. But what was the sort of mood in the, the Dunfermline camp like at that point? Because obviously going to Farhill and scoring four in the League Cup must have made you quite optimistic going into the season. It, it certainly did, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. My main memory of that game is that I didn't actually see it. I was um, obviously because of COVID restrictions, um, there was no way fans able to go anyway. But um, I wasn't working that day because I was away for the weekend for my birthday. But I was remember checking Twitter um, for the updates, and I thought, oh my god, we've won four two away at Partick. You know, that's a great result. And you're thinking, you know, this could be a good season up up to. But I do remember the some of the guys in our group chat. Um, had watched it on the stream and they felt that, you know, while 4-2 was a great result, they, they were a bit concerned, you know, with, with some of the defensive work from the pars. Um, and it kind of continued that way throughout the, the League Cup campaign. You know, the, there was a win against Dennis Muir that was 
relatively convinced then they conceded a goal and that they got one against them partners as well. Um, but then the start, start of the season, um, they drew away to Morton, which for us wasn't a bad result because um, Morton are usually a bit of a bogey team. But then, of course, our first home game in the league was against yourselves and it was frankly a bit of a disaster. Partick completely rolled all over the top of them firm on that day. Um, there was mistakes galore um, and fully merited the 3-0 win. And I think from then on, um, there was a lot of concern. It's fair to say that there was a lot of fans were a bit sceptical um, at best with the appointment of Peter Grant. Obviously, he'd um, overseen Aloha's relegation, so there was a lot of people thinking, well, is he going to be the right fit for, for Dunfermline? And he's certainly, you know, a very personable guy, you know, and I, I couldn't fault, you couldn't fault the guy's work ethic and whatnot, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. And clearly, um, the squad just weren't good enough because John Hughes then came in and he couldn't really get a tune out of them either. Um, and they obviously ended up with a complete disaster of a season that ended in relegation. So, yeah, started off very optimistically for Dunfermline, but yeah, very much went downhill pretty quickly after that. And there wasn't a lot to cheer about through the, the campaign. David, do you want to come back in there? It was really interesting that season. I mean, I think all of our games against you were really, really notable for many reasons. I mean, you had the, the 3-0 where we weren't allowed in. The 4-2 where you weren't allowed in. Um, Ross Doherty, I think we played you in the Scottish Cup as well. And That's Ross right, it was a Friday night, wasn't it? Yeah, he scored, scored a screamer. Um, you had the the last one, the season at Fahill, was that a stupid attendance, I think, because Dunfermline were in, uh, around the mire of the relegation battle at that point. And they brought a a superb amount of fans, uh, one of the best away con- uh, contingents I've seen in a long time at Farhill. And then you've obviously got the, the game at East End Park as well. But I remember that was the season where it seemed to be that it, at our group chat, it would be, oh, we're signing Kai Kennedy or we're signing Stevie Lawless or we're signing this, this and that and this and that. And then within about 12, 24 hours, it would be Dunfermline have uh, announced the player that we were talking about in the group chat. And it honestly felt we were getting bugged at some point where he, they were listening in and Ian McCall's transfer targets and then just signing them before he got to it. It was a really odd, we were really linked that season and it was a really odd one. But um, yeah, that, this, this game was probably the not the highlight, but I mean, certainly a light of some some sort. The game I've chosen to speak about, and as you say, spoiled for choice. I could have easily went for the, the 3-0 defeat where my favourite player, Danny Devine, scored a header. Uh, I've gone for a game that I think was in the same year later on. It was Dunfermline 5, Partick this a 1. David, I know we, we love a little quiz on this podcast. This was back in the days where only three substitutes were allowed. Can you name the three players that Ian McCall subbed on in this 5-1 defeat? Oh my God, no. Um, I, I, um, so obviously, oh, where gets sent off? We would have played a centre back. This would be what, 19, well, sorry, 2019, 2020. Oh, good grief. Who was in the back for us then? Was it, um, so, was it Reese No, um, Sean McGinty was subbed on for Joe oh Cardle after six minutes. Oh Maybe my the, God. The most depressing substitution of all time. <laughs> Uh, also brought on were Tommy Robson at halftime and Cammy Palmer. Uh, X Jag <laughs> Kevin Nisbet had scored four goals inside 49 minutes and then was subbed off after 55 minutes in what can only be described as a stop stop. He's already dead substitute. Reese Cole then scored Reese Cole scored a brilliant free kick to make it 5 1. But I remember like he started like clipping it up and putting it on his Instagram <laughs> and I think that's why like, a lot of fans just went off him because it was like mate like that was a good free kick but pipe down <laughs> uh, Ross what are your memories of this game and what, what are your memories of Kevin Nisbet and Adam Fairman shot because he's he's done well for you both sort of on and off the pitch financially as well Ah, yeah, Kevin Nisbet was um, fantastic for, for the Pars. It's, it's, it's strange you know when you look back and he only played about 30 odd games for the club but his goal Return was absolutely incredible. He scored over twenty goals for for the club, um, if I remember rightly. Um, but yeah, it was clear. It was clear from you know early on in, in that season the Viaplay Cup games. Uh, I remember there was a game against Albion Rovers, particularly where we won six 0 and you could even see, see at that point that he had something. You know, he, he definitely had ability. And then we played Dundee. I remember first game of that season. It was on the Friday night on the BBC, and, and Nisbet in the first half was unplayable. He, he took Dundee Dundee apart really. 
Um, so yeah, fantastic player, and it was always going to be a matter of time when he was going to go. It was just a shame that obviously the season got curtailed with with COVID that we couldn't you know get a full season um, out of him. Um, but I don't think MD because them he's he's moved to to Hibs in the in the summer and certainly the club benefited financially um, very well off that as well. Um, and certainly that game, I think probably the red card for Tamil were so early on. I think that probably it ruined it as a spectacle because um, obviously you're down to ten men, you know, one 0 down with 85 plus minutes to to go. And I remember that um, we scored Lewis Martin a rare collector's item. He got a goal as well. Um, quite early on, and um, we took control from from then on. Um, but it was a bit of an odd one. You couldn't really judge um, Thistle that day, I don't think, just because of the the early card. Um, but certainly Nisbet was was on on fire that day, particularly. And it, it, he certainly said afterwards that you know he, he felt as though he had a bit of a bit of a point to prove after obviously leaving yourselves early in his career. Um, but but yeah, great day. But I do remember his close free kick though. It was certainly the goal of the game, I think, from memory. <laughs> Yeah, we, we saw it plenty of times, more times than we needed to see it. The, the Tamil wear red card, we were sat at the other end of the ground, but you could still see exactly what he did. And you were like, why did you do that? Because I think <laughs> it's like maybe a season or two after the double jeopardy rule came in, where like if you make a genuine attempt to play the ball, you don't get a red card. So if you like maybe slid in or stuck a leg out, he wouldn't have got sent off. But he just like put his arms out and pulled the shot of the attacker. And from the other end of the pitch, we're like, why... Before the referee pulled the red card out, he's going to get sent off, and this is done before five past three. It was crazy. Uh, Ross, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, we were a bit distracted at the end of this season with uh, some some things going on at Thistle during COVID. When that season was curtailed due to COVID, how were them filming getting on? Was there a sense that you were maybe in for a, a decent end to the season? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. We're kind of floating about mid-table. I think the problem for Dunfermline that season was they were quite inconsistent. You know, they, they would have like a, a sort of run of three or four sort of wins or decent results, but then they would follow up invariably with a few defeats. And I remember that 5-1 game, we actually came into that on the back of losing to Stranraer in the Scottish Cup as well. So that was kind of a bit of an indication as to, as to where we were. I think there was a possibility that, you know, promotion playoffs weren't out of the equation with likes and Nisbet. We had Kyle Turner obviously at the time as well, people like that. Um, so I, th- I think that might have been um, where we could have ended up, but it's, it's really hard to say. Just before, obviously, it got curtailed, we had a really good win against Dundee United the first time in what seemed like about 15 million years that we'd actually beaten Dundee United. Um, we managed to get a good win against them. Um, and then obviously there was the draw with yourselves. That was the last game before COVID that we played um, at Firhaw. And I remember that although it was a late equaliser for you, we got out of jail completely that night because we were absolutely outplayed from start to finish. And how we got a draw, I'll still never know. So, yeah, there, there was probably a bit of maybe we could have got promotion playoffs, but it could easily just have ended up being outside it. So, yeah, it was. I don't think the film fans were as disappointed maybe as maybe some other teams, most notably obviously yourselves, um, when, when the season got curtailed, I don't think. I remember that that drop for how you were talking about, and as much as we, we were the better team that night, I think we did get a bit lucky with that quite um, sizably offside goal quite late on there, which annoyed your goalkeeper, I remember. Um, David, I know you never leave games early, and I actually stood to the end of this 5-1, but how much did this test you? Well, uh, I wasn't at this game. I was in a stag do. Actually, this was the same day. Remember, remember Newcastle drew with Man City at St James's Park. Um, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, um, I was at that game on a stag do, but I remember because it was an early kickoff for Man City and Newcastle. We went to the park, and we came out and there was a pub across the road, and we were sitting there and they had soccer Saturday on, and obviously no one else there is is a Thistle fan or whatever. But they knew I was a Thistle fan. So I turned around and I looked and I seen Tamil wear red cards after like four minutes. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me on what's going on. And I didn't realise it was a penalty because obviously it's Soccer Saturday. So I turned away, going back to my drink, go, oh, that's a penalty, 1-0. I'm like, OK. And every single time I turned around to look at the screen, it was, there was another goal flashed up. We looked up 2-0, 3-0. It was, oh, I, I, yeah, I was quite drunk by the end of the day. And I don't think it was just because it was a stag to it. It just... It was just a horrendous day. I, I ended up watching the highlights back afterwards. I, Christ knows why, but um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you you could tell what was happening immediately when the goal we got sent off. Um, but it, it wasn't as good as Newcastle Man City. Put it that way. The the only good 
thing about this game that I can see on the Thistle archive is Kenny Miller was three weeks shy of his 40th birthday and Ian McCall <laughs> kept him out for the whole 90 minutes in the biggest <laughs> fuck you you're leaving in January I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Fair play to Ian McCall for that. Um, Ross, I'll come to you for a game that you maybe don't recall so fondly from a different point of view. It's uh, <laughs> probably a smaller group of games to choose from here. Well, there's three that immediately spring to mind. They're all from the same season and they're all for different reasons, really. Um, and these, certainly one of these, if not all of them, might actually feature highly in, in your favoured ones. It's from the 2012-13 season where obviously you won the first division uh, title. Um, obviously, you'd beaten us at East End earlier on the season, but Dunfermline had been going quite well. You know, since relegation, Jim Jeffries had rejuvenated the team. There was a lot of younger players, like say Andy Gegg and Josh Falkham had come in, people like that. Um, they were going well. So we came to Fairhill in the November, and it was, I think we were leveling points at the time. And, yeah, it, it was not a, a good one for Dunfermline. It was 5-1. It was going on a lot more than that. Jim Jeffries probably made, not that I'm one to tell him um, about his team selection, but putting midfielder Chris Kane at left back that day, whether that was forced or not, I don't know. Um, didn't really have the desired effect. Um, and we got well and truly um, beaten and outplayed that day. And I remember, I think it was Ross Forbes, I think, that scored an absolutely outrageous goal um, in the first half. And we had no answer to it. But I think at that time, more worryingly at the time, was that it started, things started to come out about the finances at Dunfermline in terms of, you know, wages not being paid to the players and there was clearly a bit of issue um, sort of behind the scenes. And that was kind of exacerbated probably later in the season, um, in the March time. Um, and it was just a couple of weeks before I started at the at the paper. And it was that same week when I started there that the administration was announced as well. But came to East End and uh, you won 4-0. Um, it was a pretty convincing, comfortable victory. I think it was 4-0 at half-time, if I remember rightly as well. Um, Stephen Craig got a hat-trick. So I remember kind of leaving East End pretty desolate that day, you know, because it was it was beyond the result of a 90 minutes by this point. It was like, what's going to happen with the club, you know, period at that stage. And as I say, obviously, administration came about a wee while later. And then to just end, end it all, second last game of the season, it's at back at Farhill. You were getting the First Division trophy presented to you that day. And a win for us, and we would have managed to stay up and avoid the relegation playoffs. 3-1 up, five minutes to go, and yet we contrived to chuck away two goals, draw 3-3, and then we lose to Airdrie the following week, go into the relegation playoffs, and we end up getting put down by all of us. So, um, yeah, not too many happy memories of, of games against you that season. David, we've obviously spoken at length about that season on this podcast, but what are your memories of the Dunfermline games from the 12-13 season? They don't exist in a vacuum and that you, you kind of have to take into account the fact that Dunfermline, you know, were a strong team at the time and, you know, where they were tipped, you know, to be title challengers at the start of the season. And they had some they had some decent runs in that time. And it was kind of like when we saw Dunfermline's issues and then going into administration and stuff, I think it, it really rejuvenated us a little bit. One of the contenders in the arena has, has now left. So... That is narrowing down the the field is thinning out a bit, and I think it gave us a boost to. You can't underplay how big Dunfermline's administration and and those games were for us as a as a club in terms of winning that title. Yeah, I mean, like the twelve thirteen side is just amazing. We had a, a testimonial based all around the twelve thirteen side getting back together last week. We, we 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 could talk for hours. We do talk for hours. We will talk for hours about the twelve thirteen side. But yeah, the Dunfermline games are especially um, interesting there. Especially being was it three 0 I think we were uh, down um, before coming back three each for the for the trophy lift. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 3-1. Jordan McMillan of all people scored the opening goal for you, um, and he'd been one of the players that had been let go because of the the administration. Um, and then we came back and we were we were three one up. Um, we, te- we got got the third goal with, with ten minutes left, and then yeah, we, we looked as though we were going to see it out, and it was it was really hard on the the young players. I remember everybody kind of staying and really clapping them off that day because obviously we we had to play a lot of kind of younger players. John Potter, who was obviously a coach at the time, had to be re-registered effectively as a player to play and and things like that. And they, they'd given their absolute lot, but I think towards the end of the game they put so much effort into it. They, um, tiredness, I think, started to, to creep in with them, and then obviously we conceded the the two goals. So it was it was really hard to take at the at the time, but um, yeah, certainly obviously the, we had the chance the following week to 
you know, make sure that we, we preserved our, our status in the division. We, we couldn't do it. And then Cowdenbeath got an unlikely victory. I think it was away at Hamilton, which no one really saw coming and fair play to them. And, and that put us ninth and, and down into the relegation spot. So, yeah, a tough one to take that day. I think as well, like, when McMillan scored, and he obviously he was one of the uh, players let go by Dunfermline. That is prime fissling. Like, it's, it's really weird to see another team doing a fissle of releasing a player and then having them score against uh, having them score against you. A Kafkin bit of football there. It's just nice to see someone else get that for once. <laughs> that 5 that 1 win at Farhill, that was really in the spell where we were playing the best football. Maybe that month between sort of mid-October and mid-November would be Airdrie 7-0. And that spell, we, we won a Challenge Cup semi-final that led to the final that we we all speak about as well. And the, the Dunfermline game, arguably the best performance of the season. I know it's right up there. Interestingly, the first game in red and yellow that we played that season. And yeah, there were some really, really great goals scored that day. Ross Forbes in particular with a sort of trademark screamer. Um, David, a favourable Thistle game from you? I'm probably going to go for, strangely, not a Thistle win, uh, mainly for the, the moment more than the actual game. We mentioned it earlier, but the, the one each, like two days before COVID lockdown, is a game that I fondly remember. It's the last the last game where, uh, in, the, in the olden times, um, before mass and all that, I remember going into the toilet and they had posters of how to wash your hands to the tune of we've got McCall, Super Ian McCall, so you do it for 20 seconds and looking back on it, I mean that, that Brian Graham scoring the last goal before COVID was really fitting and looking back it's, I'm glad that it was him that did it we did absolutely dominate Dunfermline we probably should have won and I think at the time, going into the last couple of minutes, I think we're all a bit frustrated about how many chances we'd had and it was very endemic of our season that we'd had all these chances and just blew it and just weren't weren't winning basically. But when when Graham scored, I vividly remember the sort of the visceral outpouring of emotion from everyone. Now in hindsight, on like the twelfth of March twenty twenty, probably not the best time in the world for us all to be jumping all over each other, hugging grabbing each other, you know, screaming and all that. Looking back on it now at the time, I mean, you look at like there was the so the stereophonics gig like the day before whatever, everyone was there and like thousands of people got COVID and all that. And looking back, it's very weird and amazing that, you know, lots of people didn't end up getting COVID from that last minute winner, uh, last minute equaliser. I think as well, you, you look at that, that game, if we don't score that, then we are relegated and we don't. We don't have the excuse of, you know, we would have beat Inverness because we had a good record and all that. We'd have went ahead of Queen of the South and yada, yada, yada and all the, the moaning that we did at the time. And this game is very character building in its own weird way because if we lose that game and we just go down and you go, all right, it's down, you don't have that sort of siege mentality that we had. You can't really argue it at that point. That you, yeah, you should have been relegated. And um, it, it says a lot that, you know, Brian Graham would score that goal, but that goal is probably... Fa- one of the most transformative, meaningless goals that we'll ever score. And it didn't really actually mean much on the day, but everyone had a great reaction. But at the same time, if we don't score it, where are we now as a club? Um, because of that, do we rally around in the way that we did? Or in the the Jags Foundation protests or, you know, the money coming in and stuff like that. Does that happen if Riot Graham doesn't score that goal? But that, but that moment of everybody jumping, celebrating all that for was basically a one each and a Tuesday night against Dunfermline was a great reaction, if not aged badly. <laughs> I think I think you're maybe onto something, David. The fact that that was the last bit of football we saw for four or five months was probably important. It was a, a positive moment that we could cling to, and you never know how things would have turned out if we didn't score that goal. But yeah, it was, it was a great moment, and it was the last moment inside a football stadium we had for over a year and that's all we had to cling to I'm just looking at Dunfermline's goal that day do you mind Scott Fox that season David every time we had a corner we would concede I I still see him in my dreams like (laughs) like, when he signed for Muddle I was scared he'd be in my back garden like oh my god like now we talk about um, you know that Graham goal being character building Scott Fox this season was character building he put many hairs on many chests Um, oh my god 
Ross, I know you brought this game up a little bit earlier. Do you have any more memories of it? I do actually, yeah. But it was one that I was in the press box for actually. Um, so I, I remember it well. Um, Ewan Murray scored a, his finish was excellent. You know, completely unexpected from from Ewan. Um, all due respect to Ewan, if you do manage to listen to this. Um, but I remember he he hit it really really well. But I it was it was a strange game because. Dunfermline had to really ride their luck. I remember, I think it was Stuart Bannigan had a penalty saved by Owen from Williams as well in the first half, and I think Zach Rudden hit the bar um, when he was unlucky not to score. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, guys. I mean, obviously, it turned out to be the last game of football that we were able to, to go to for a long, long time. And I remember there was obviously a lot of chatter and news about things were going to get shut down and, all, and everything else, and it turned out two or three days later, whatever it was, that um, we wouldn't be going to the, the football at the, at the weekend. But I remember obviously going um, across to the, the far side um, to the main stand at Firhill and, and it was still inside the, the media room inside the main stand where we did all the interviews and, and things like that, you know, and you look back at it and think that was a bit surreal you know, given everything that was going on in terms of all the warnings about COVID and things and um, there was nothing really um, sort of in terms of social distancing or masks or, or anything like that, it was it was really, really weird looking back on it and but even I, I suppose driving away from the game I, I still wasn't fully believed even that that was going to be it in terms of football and that it was going to get shut down. I still had it in my head that, you know, we might get through at least another weekend and, and see where it goes from there. But um, obviously that wasn't the, wasn't the case. But, but yeah, it was a, it was a surreal, um, surreal game to look back on. I remember, like, to show you about how surreal and weird it seems now, I remember we were playing Inverness, I think, the week after on the Tuesday and I couldn't get a time off work, and we were joking. Oh, why did you just say you've got COVID? Um, like, you no, know, to get out of work as if it was like, oh, I'm off sick and feeling a bit under the weather, sort of thing. And then when you look at the squad we had that season, it really is bizarre that we were craving nine more games or however many we had left to play. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were having a little bit of form. I think we were three unbeaten into the shutdown, but yeah, that that was not a good time. Uh, I don't know if either of you two have any more games you want a, a little mention. The, the the one at East End Park, the four one with Stevie Lawless, absolutely running the show, and then promptly bringing it up to Banzo when we interviewed him about how he absolutely ripped him a new one in that game. That was t- that, one of the worst atmospheres I've ever heard in an away end. I think me me and you were sitting together with your mum, and it was absolutely horrendous. Some of the abuse they were getting was unreal. I think Ricky Foster stormed off down the dugout and stuff like that as well. That was a that was a dreadful game. That that was probably the most I've been tested, to be honest, that one, the the four one. That was not good at all. We were we were three one down with twenty minutes to go and we brought Stephen Bell on for Scott Tiffany that night. That's that's quite the substitution. <laughs> Running back the hits. <laughs> uh Ross, you get any memories of that one? I do. I that was another one I was I was working at. It was a very pleasant uh, evening from our perspective, definitely. Um, yeah, it was one of the few really excellent performances that the team put in that season. There was also another midweek game later, and, um, around about that time, where they played Ray Rovers and, and beat them as well. Um, but those were um, very rare uh, highlights of that year. But yeah, I remember the final played really, really well, even though they went behind. You know, they they got back into it really quickly um, and. They played some really good stuff that night, actually. And um, Stevie Lawless was um, excellent, as we mentioned. But Dom Thomas, that was one of his really good um, evenings. Um, and I've done Fairmont shot as well. And, it, you know, came away from that game and you're thinking there's a lot of more belief and a bit of optimism about the place, thinking that, you know, the pass could cobble together enough results to um, get out of the, the mire they were in. Um, but on, obviously they didn't um, do that. But it's, it's interesting when you speak to the Fairmont fans, though, because... They, they often wonder, you know, if if they didn't, if they did get out of relegation trouble and they had survived that season, you know, how how different would things look now, you know, because probably the management would have, wouldn't have changed. James McPay probably wouldn't have come into the club. And the squad will be completely different as well. Who knows? They might have struggled again the next season. So there's always things happen for a, a reason. Possibly, I know it's never a good thing to get relegated, quite obviously, but you know, maybe it was something that the club needed in, in the longer run. Um, and I think they're reaping the benefits of it. Another game that, that I um, remember fondly was actually, it was right the, the kind of beginning part of the, the COVID season. We came through to Fairhill and I think it was our first league win of the season, actually. We won 3-0. Um, and again, played really well. Kevin Nisbet scored. Kyle Turner scored. Um, we're turning up at half time. But that's probably the, that's actually the last game I've been at Firhill where I've just been as a fan and I've just went through with my pals and our supporters bus. And I remember being in the Munns Vault 
probably talking absolute nonsense to end it. Listening, including an older Thistle fan who was uh, very, very nice and chatting away about the football and stuff like that. And I remember he bought me a pint and he refused to let me buy him one back because it was approaching kickoff. So if you're listening, sir, thank you very much. And I hope that I can reciprocate one day uh, at a later point in the season. It's actually interesting you mentioned that about getting relegated maybe been a good thing for you. None of us felt that at the time, but if you look back now, it probably wasn't too bad a thing for us. We got to sort of clear the decks a little bit and go into the, the championship season when we can back up with a bit of momentum. And I think you're probably in a similar boat. Um, that 4-1 defeat that season came at a really interesting time because I remember we won two games under the lights, 1-0 against Inverness and Queen of the South at the start of March that season. And it's, it's easy to forget because we were right there with Kilmarnock and our growth in terms of going for the league. And then we lost four in a row. We lost at Capelo and then we lost a real bad one, 4-0 at home to Hamilton. And it was Dunfermline next under the lights at Eastern Park. And Doherty scored an early goal and it was like, right, we're back on track. And then we were 3-1 down <laughs> after you blinked, basically. And that, that was basically think, the end of all of our, our title hopes that season. Well, you mentioned that a bit, because I remember that game was in the BBC, which is even more embarrassing because you're sitting there squirming in your seat knowing that everyone else who's tuned into BBC Scotland is watching is absolutely put on this horror show of performance but the reason it was in the BBC was because it was meant to be in the Friday um, a couple of weeks before remember because of the ice and the snow that game was called off I remember I still ended up in Dunfermline with my friends anyway and I had a great night and you just wonder about if the game had went ahead at that point you know when we're not in that in that sort of run like does that spur us on for the extra games to go and win it's all ifs and buts but yeah it's kind of like that game is postponed and you wonder if we'd played at that time, would it have been any different and would it have changed our season? We'll never know. Um, we'll have a chat about some players now that have played for both clubs. Dave, I'll start with you on this one. Who's your who's your favourite Thistle player who's also had a spell at Dunfermline? I would probably go with, with Higgy. I absolutely loved Higgy when he played with us. And um, I, I think that when he was going to Dunfermline, playing against us and wondering, you know, maybe he'll come back at some point. But he seems to have... He he never he never got that form that he had with us. Uh, even in like this the last six months, he he kind of dipped off a little bit. But he was just such a mercurial player for us that I absolutely have seen him many times. And he is one of those players who I think that he'll always be fondly remembered. He can turn up for eighty different clubs against us and score however many goals he likes. I I just don't see him ever sort of going down in our estimation. He'll always be. I I think it's fair to say Fissel was probably his best run of his, his career but yeah uh, Higgy I absolutely loved him and bring him back Higgy right up there for me I think well, obviously Stevie Lawless would be the one Ross what was Stevie Lawless like in a Dunfermline shot because I, I remember he took the captain's armband as well in a tough time for you do you have fun memories of him yeah, absolutely. Uh, he came in, obviously, it was a difficult time, but um, John managed to, to get him in in the, in the January, I think it was. And and you could see right away, you know, the, the, the quality that he had. You know, if you, if you got him in the ball, he was always going to make things, something happen for you. Um, and he clearly was a, a bit like Higgy in this sense, actually. He was never one that would kind of shy away from it, even if things weren't going particularly well. Um, he would always look to take responsibility, try and get on the ball, try and get teammates involved. Um, I thought he was a very good player. It was just... Maybe just unfortunately he came into a, a struggling Dunfermline team, um, obviously at the at the time, um, and then he obviously um, after the relegation he, he he moved on. But yeah, no, he, he was certainly a good player for for Dunfermline, and um, I'm not surprised at all that he's he's gone back to ourselves and um, he's performing at a high level um, as he is because he's he's undoubtedly got got a lot of quality um, and he's played very good technical player. I always thought. Um, and, and certainly someone, um, as you say, that would never hide away from anything. They would always um, look to try and make things happen. So, yeah, good player. And and Higgy as well. I've got a lot of fond memories of Higgy as well when he was at Dunfermline too. And, and actually, as well as that, when he went to Kelly Hearts, lovely guy off the pitch, you know, really bubbly, really jocular. And again, he's just one of those players. He never had always wanted the ball. I remember there's one or two games where it might not have been going well for the team or for him on a personal level, but he always wanted the ball, always wanted to show for it. Um, and he certainly gave us some some great moments of Dunfermline shirt. And he, he he certainly, you know, I, I know it's a bit sort of cliche when you see some players and it's like they, you know they maybe thump the badge and you know and all this kind of thing. But I think Higgy, regardless of wherever he's been, I think he's a player that always cared um, for the club that he's playing for and, and always wanted to give his best for for his teammates and and for the fans. I think Dunfermline fans bought into that. And I remember when he left, um, I know that he was he was really disappointed when he when he left Dunfermline. 
if he if he did the option, he would, he would have wanted to stay a bit longer. But um, these things happen. But he's he's always got um, whenever he's come back or played against Dunfermline, certainly last season for Kelty, um, he always got a good reception as well. So I think that speaks volumes about him. Any more players that you've got favourable memories of in a Dunfermline shot who also had a spell at Thistle? This was actually quite hard because there's actually a lot, you know, when I when I look back at actually the, the Thistle Archive is a, a great resource. I was I was having a, a good look at it over the weekend and and there's been so many, you know, I even go back to my younger day when I first started going to football, like Jerry Britton, you know, when we, we had him um, for a couple of seasons and particularly his first season, you know, he scored a lot of goals, an excellent partnership with um Andy Smith at the time, Alan Moore. Um he was one of my favourite players growing up. Um, right winger, obviously a big part of our 95-96 championship winning squad. There's so many that you could go through. You know, Paul Payton did a good um, turn for us. Um, Simon Donnelly was another one um, when he played for Dunfermline. So th- th- there's many. Um, obviously, James Cregan, really good pro. Stevie Loss is one we've mentioned. Um, and, and Kevin Nisbet as well. But I think the two probably that it comes down to for me um, would probably be Martin Hardy, well, in fact, three, Martin Hardy, Martin Hardy Andy Gegan and um, Joe Cardo. But I think Martin Hardy obviously has got hero status because the signing of him and Kevin Rutkovich in the January of the 2010-11 season um, from St. Johnson pretty much was the turning point for Dunfermline winning the league that year. Um, Hardy scored some amazing goals. Obviously, everyone remembers the, the free kick against Wraith Rovers, which was effectively the title decider um, at East End Park. But th- there was one game away to Ross County where he scored in the 94th minute to give them a 1-0 win. And that really changed the impetus of the title for the Pars. So Martin Hardy, absolute iconic player, hero, um, certainly at Dunfermline. I know he is at, at Thistle as well. But probably for the longevity, I would I would have to pump for Joe, uh, Joe Cardell. Obviously, two spells at Dunfermline, won the first division with us in 2011, um, won League One when he came back to the club. Um, fan favourite, um, obviously, really exciting player to watch in his day, um, scored some really memorable goals for us, and just an all-round good guy, still lives in the town as well, still goes to watch them film when he can, and a real a real fan favourite, so yeah, would, uh, and, and obviously, um, when he scored to, to help you beat Falkirk when you won the League One title, that, that was certainly something that cheered us a little bit as well, so um, aye, I, I would probably have to pump for Joe, but there's, there's certainly been a lot you know, of players that have played for uh, Thistle and ourselves that you know, I look back on another time at Dunfermline pretty formal. Jamie McDonald, absolutely delighted that Joe Cardell's got a shout out, David. Uh, more your memories of Cardell and a thistle shot. Maybe a bit unfortunate to be released in the end, but but we got we got a couple of good years out of him just at the tail end of his well, I think he's still looking for a club, but at the tail end of his career we got some good years out of him. Yeah, no, I think he he definitely for that team he was an integral part and I think he done really well. No, he he definitely raised the level of that that team uh, when he was there. He was a he was a big part of the League One winning side, and I think yeah, you say maybe unfairly released could have got another season out of him, but at the same time, you know, possibly I think he, it's a kind of a divisive one the, the release. I think there is sort of a would the jump up to the championship been too much for him, or could he been a good a, a good second string player? Did he want to be second string? Probably not. Who knows? But yeah, no, definitely fun memories of him in a Thistle top. We don't have too many league winning players uh, floating about. So he, he won a league with us and he was a very important member of the, the league one winning team. So yeah, fun memories of Cardle as well. I think it was a sort of 50-50 decision. I wasn't too upset when he was released, but I think it was the fact we never really replaced him the following season that fans were like, oh, maybe we should have kept hold of him in the end. But yeah, fun memories of Joe Cardle. David, I'll come to you for... Players that you maybe do not have the fondest memories of in a thistle shot who also played for the firm. It's it's tough. Um well first of all, Matt, who are you picking? Well, I was at I was at a loss, David, because as you know, we normally have a chat about Cammy Bell and his, his wigwam business at this point of the podcast because he's played for every other club in the championship. But <laughs> sadly not this week. Uh, obviously Danny Devine next in line for me. Well, so I, I I was going to say Danny Devine, but um, I I will um, however I'll I'll bail you out, Matt, and I will go with we can't have Cammy Bell, right? How, no, sadly. However, we can have the next best thing. I give you two words, Matt. Bryn Halliwell, a player. In a way, you know, he was so bad it made us get Scott Fox. But in a way, as well as that, we ended up with Scott Fox as well. So. His legacy will oh, live on forever, but um, yeah. Scott, Scott Fox was good uh, in his first spell, David. 
it was good in his first film. Yeah, the the first couple the first couple um, chapters in the story were good, but yeah, but um, Bryn Hallowell, I think if you went to Muns or the Woody and done a straw poll of who was our worst goalkeeper. If you're not seeing Cammy Bell, you're probably seeing Bryn Hallowell. Everyone who was there to witness him has never really unwitnessed him. And yeah, (laughs) get him in for a testimonial. I'd I'd, I'd fancy my chances against Bryn Hallowell. So the draw is a draw testimonial, we'll get him in goals. Um, And I think I might be able to score against him. Ross, I'm I'm really keen to to speak to you about Danny Devine. Such a strange player because... He's done well at Inverness and both spells, I think, up there. When he was at Thistle, though, he played alongside Liam Lindsay and he was part of our top six season. And then he was obviously part of the team that got relegated the following year. But I can't really remember a centre-back that didn't have any positive traits like Danny Devine did. Like, he wasn't good in the air. He wasn't good on the ball. He wasn't fast. He wasn't a threat at set-pieces. We still managed to keep a lot of clean sheets with him in the team, which is probably down to mostly Liam Lindsay, we say at the back. What was Devine like in a Dunfermline shot? I'm actually probably one of the few that actually quite liked Danny, actually, um, at Dunfermline. But then I've always got a kind of soft spot for a lot of the more modern players having uh, sort of been dealing with them week to week. Um, I think Danny came in and it was a season of obvious transition when he, he arrived in 2018 and we just been beaten by Dundee United in the Premiership playoff quarterfinals um, in the May. We, that was a tie we should have won, actually. We completely dominated the, the game at Tannadice for 45 minutes and should have been two or three goals up by half time and finished it. But anyway, that's besides the point. So he came in and, you know, started off looking looking OK. I remember we got a League Cup win up at Dundee, played well that day. We got a clean sheet. Um, but the team as a whole kind of struggled. They, they struggled to gel um, that season. I remember there was a particularly bad early season game away to Air United, who against, we generally had pretty good record against, especially the Somerset, but everybody had an off day and we got beat 4-1. It was really, really poor. Um, I remember the, the travelling contingent were not happy and Danny was substituted after half an hour that day for Miles Hippolyte, if you remember him, ex Falkirk player, and that didn't really do anything to stem the tide <laughs> that day. Yeah, the, probably some of the film fans probably would say they definitely been better defenders and He's, he's like, you know, plenty of defenders we've had at this kind of level. You know, he, he's made mistakes um, and, and whatever else. But, you know, I, I thought, generally speaking, he would, he would use the ball pretty well. Um, but, as I say, I think it, it was it was a difficult time for the film. We're in a bit of a, a difficult season. We ended up changing manager um, in the January of that year as well. Alan Johnson left and, and Stevie Crawford then came in as well. So, um, there were some tough, tough moments um, on and off the pitch. But he did. I do remember um, there was a midweek game. Um, later um, in the 2018-19 season against yourselves at Eastern Park, we won 3-0 and he actually scored that day. So um, I'm not going to hear too much um, bad said against him. I've said a PTSD about that goal. It's up there with the FA Ambrose goal. We conceded as the funniest goal we've ever conceded. It's just, it, 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 we've talked about it many times, but I've not laughed so much at conceding a goal in my life. It was it was hilarious. Um, I, yeah. The, th- the thing about Devine was when we get bad centre-backs, and I think generally in Scottish football when you get a bad centre-back, it's always these like clown shoes moments and mistakes, and you think, oh, he's, he's, he's going to drop a racket here. And Devine, But Devine was never really like that. He was just sort of consistently underwhelming in a thistle shot, and it was frustrating because you could maybe see a little bit of a player in there, but he just never showed it, and they were very poor defensively in 17-18. I do remember actually, I was, I was at my local barber's um, and I, I stay in Stennis Muir, so um, you know, very rare to find uh, Pars fans here, but more strangely, there was a Thistle fan in waiting to get his haircut this particular day after we'd signed that because we were chatting about the football and, and he couldn't believe that, you know, the family had signed him and he was basically kind of saying, oh, he's he's going to give goals left, right and centre, he's, he's good for OGs, he's good for mistakes. I mean, but, you know, he actually turned out, you know, he certainly was nowhere near, anywhere near the, the worst player I've, I've seen turning out for the for the Pars um, period, not just in the in the modern times. But I guess everybody, you can only judge them really in, in probably what you see when they're playing for, for your team. It's always the, the case, isn't it, when you sign someone, the fans of opposition teams that maybe say, oh, he's, he's rubbish, he's this, that, the next thing, and yet, you know, maybe you can come to your team and, and turn out not too bad. So, 
on the subject of I don't know Mac that his hair cut and labour. <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of being rubbish, Ross, any underwhelming Dunfermline players who have also played for Thistle? This is definitely something I really struggle with because I was going through the, the list of players, you know, and I, I look at them and I think, actually, you know, these are all guys that have kind of done jobs for us. Kyle Turner was, was good for us um, in the first season. Um, Stephen Bell, um, he was he was really good, actually, early on for Dunfermline, but I remember he got a really bad injury at Capo that put him out of the game for a long time, um, and that kind of curtailed his Dunfermline career, unfortunately, um, which is a real shame. I remember being there that day. It was, it was awful to see. Um, and yeah, I, I look through the players, and there's there's some that I, I maybe haven't quite worked out as well as would hope. Probably maybe Robbie Muirhead, for example, is one we, we had high hopes for when he came in. Maybe it didn't quite work out, um, and uh, amongst others. But I'm probably going to plump for one way back in probably the mid 2000s, and this is probably unfair as well. Um, but it's more the circumstance of this. We signed Derek Lyle. Um, at the end of the in 2004, and I'm pretty sure Jimmy Calderwood agreed this before he left to go to Aberdeen, and it was a loan deal. Um, and Calderwood then left. Davy Hay came in, um, and he was on loan. And Davy Hay didn't actually play him. He never actually made an appearance with them before he left again. Um, so that was a bit of an odd one. That's probably kind of where I'm at in, in terms of that, because I looked at you know quite a few of the other names that, that have played for both clubs, and there's a lot of players that you know have. have done a pretty decent job for, for Dunfermline and maybe some fans that will maybe disagree with with some of them um, and maybe think that they're having done as, as well. Um, and Leon Jones, he was another one. Um, Peter Grant signed him um, in 2021, but again, his time was curtailed mainly through, you know, sort of different illness, injury and unavailability and things like that. So he was really unlucky and that was another one that just didn't work out. But there's, there's not been too many, you know, that I remember anyway that have been really stuck out for, you know, not doing particularly well for, for the Pars. But as I say, other other fans might be a bit, uh, might have different views on that than, than I do. No, I think you're right. We've done this with, with a Falkirk fan and a Queen's Park fan so far this season. It was much easier to sort of poke some fun at some players in, in those episodes than it was in this one. David, do you want to come in? You, you'll probably disagree, David. You find a bit of fun and everything. Well, I was going to say an interesting parallel. A player I always remember who Fissel signed that played for Dunfermline, who we never played was Mark Kerr. Was it the 13 14 season? It was certainly under Archie in the Premier League. We signed Mark Kerr. I think he may have been injured, but he was just in the bench for about six months, done absolutely nothing. And as a disciple of Chapman 0102, he was the greatest player in the world. So having <laughs> yeah. Mark Kerr on the bench, I'm like, play fucking Mark Kerr. He'll, he'll score like 38 goals. It just because that that's the rule in Champ Man 01 or 2. And it was just, we never played them. So it was an interesting parallel. But we had a player the other way that was the same as the one that you mentioned. I will need to bring up Ross. Rhys Breen, how's he been in a Dunfermline shirt? He's been good. Yeah, he's, he's been really good, especially since Jesuit Pate's come in, actually. Um, he's he's really um, sort of taking his game up another level. Unfortunately, he's he's injured at the moment and he'll, he'll not be available for Saturday, I don't think, either. Um, he's, he's got a wee bit of, I think he's out for another two or three weeks, at least. Um, but no, Reese has been really good. Um, he's been very much a key part of the, the kind of favourite back three that, that James has, has preferred um, since coming into the, into the job and um, playing its um, left centre-back. He's done a great job. I think it's, it's certainly helped with likes of Kel Benedictus, who's a really great organiser and leader in there um, alongside him. Um, and, but Reese has got, you know, he's, he's got, the, he's got good, he's quick off the ground. Um, you know, he's, he's doesn't shirk a tackle. He, he quite likes the, the physical battle as well. And yeah, he's, he's, he's certainly been really good for, for Dunfermline um, since he's got a regular run the team. It was difficult when he first came in. Um, again, there, there was kind of like we issues with nobody able to play for different reasons, unavailability, not getting picked, etc. But certainly, you know, since um, last season, James has come in and, and really given him a, a good run in the team and he managed to stay fit until maybe about eight games to go. He got an injury and then he missed the latter part of it. But apart from that, he's generally been a, a first pick in the in the team sheet. Um, and certainly, you know, I think we were all delighted to send a contract extension um, towards the end of last season as well. So um, I think most of our fans were, were delighted with that. And he's certainly a, a very key part of the team in the squad. Uh, he was one at Thistle. He was just at the wrong the wrong place at the wrong time. He came in in the League One season when we were sort of well well stocked in centre backs and he was young and he made it I think he made a mistake on his first game away at St Mirren. He scored quite a comical on goal and then he never really got a look in after that. The other player I want to ask you about, David's favourite 
ex-Partick Thistle player. A, a mixed a mixed memories amongst Partick Thistle fans. But Alex Kubiak, how's he been in this short time at Eastern Park so far? Yeah, he's obviously not long in the door, actually. He'd been training with the, the club um, for, for a wee while before, before he signed, and he's obviously a player that, that James McPaid knows really well. Had him at Dundee, signed him for Dundee, actually. And um, I know that, that James, um, before he actually signed him, um, he told us that, you know, it, it was a player that he really admired, and um, he felt that, you know, it, it was just unfortunate, you know, with the injuries he had at Dundee, because he felt he could have got a lot more out of him. And he, he thought that Dundee might have kept a hold of him, actually, um, towards the end of last season, because he had a good run. Um, but yeah, he, he played 45 minutes for the reserves and then he got his debut as a substitute away at Queen's Park the other week um, and he won the free kick that Lewis McCann scored to, to make it 2-0 and even then, I, I wasn't at the game on Saturday, I was covering um, Kelly Hart's match on Saturday but um, again, he was kind of off the bench but I think in the fleeting appearance I've seen of him, I think he's, he's definitely got something to offer I think he looks like he, he should have you know a decent bit of hold-up play, a decent bit of link play um, and he gives us another option, you know, at the, at the top end of the pitch as well, which I think is is needing a bit of depth in there as well, because um, obviously we, we've got Craig White and Lewis McCann's been doing really well as well, but um, if either of those, you know, are unavailable, you know, you, you're looking at the, at the backup options and there's not a huge amount of depth there. So I think um, Alex coming in is, is good to have for depth, but certainly once he gets up to speed, gets a bit match fit, then he'll certainly give us a, a different option in attack. So I'm looking forward to see more of him um, as the season goes on. Just a couple of quick ones to finish then, Ross. I know we've, we've reached the hour mark. James McPake in general, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't really rate him at Dundee, but he seems to be doing well at Dunfermline. Uh, how is he regarded amongst the Dunfermline fans and what sort of football has he got Dunfermline playing? Very highly regarded, absolutely. I think, um, I, I don't think um, James would be um, upset with me saying this, and I think he, it's something he's actually alluded to himself that w- when he was appointed, I think that it was maybe met with a bit of a feeling of underwhelmed, um, underwhelming feeling from the, the Dunfermline fans, um, you know, when he came in, because I think it was well documented that obviously he struggled a wee bit laterally um, towards Dundee. But the, the strange thing about that was I, I thought the timing of that was a bit odd because he'd actually won uh, a couple of games um, when they um, decided to part a company with him. Um, so it was a timing there that was a bit strange. But he certainly said himself, I think he, he took a lot of time to um, reflect on um, at Dundee, um, for example, I think he, he he said to me in interviews where um, you know he, he maybe felt as though he was he's trying to do too much himself, um, whereas maybe he's learned to maybe try and delegate things a, a little bit more. Um, and I think he's learned maybe not to um, to maybe not be out as outwardly maybe as emotional, um, you know, in, in terms of a match day and, and things like that. If, if maybe things aren't going quite going to to plan or whatever. Um, but he's done a fantastic job, um, absolutely fantastic job, able back by Dave McKay's number two and, and Ian Harty's his first team coach. The, when when they came in, the club was obviously at a very low ebb, but had a really, really poor season, obviously relegated to League One, which was not the intention at the start of the season. Um, so there was a lot of work to do. And he actually, you know, the, the lot of the squad that had been relegated were still um, there. So he had to work with um, a lot of the the vast majority of the team um, that had been that had gone down, but he's managed to recruit really well. Um, you know, bringing in like say Kyle Benedictus has been absolutely massive for us. But also just the improvement in, in a lot of players. I touched on him um, just a wee, wee um, minute ago there. But Lewis McCann, you know, the the improvement in, in him has been absolutely fantastic. Not just last season, but this season as well. Um, you know, he's really got a lot of rock pace and power and he's got a goal threat his decision making is getting a lot better and I think that comes into the coaching you know he's, he's certainly getting a lot out of the, the players and the big thing for Dunfermline fans is that the team they give absolutely everything I know that's something that you know you should be you know 100% every week anyway but they they just refuse to give in they, they've got such a great spirit amongst them they fight for absolutely everything they fight for each other they're, they're desperate to work as hard as they can every week even if it's not going particularly well um, and I think we, it was evidence last season with some of the comebacks there was obviously the famous one 3-0 down half an hour to go Airdrie one 4 2-0 down after half an hour at Falkirk towards the end of last season got a draw probably could have won it in the end Um so that's something that they've instilled in, in the group of players. And it's no coincidence that they're getting such great success in the back of it. The defensive record has been absolutely outstanding. You know, fewest goals that conceded in the season, last season, you know, both at home and away. Um, obviously, they didn't lose a league game at home. Um, only lost once all season last season. So these are all things that 
have been steadily um, sort of building the, the confidence of the fans and the connection between the, the club and the fans. It was obviously a bit fractured after relegation um, and during that season, but the, the bond that's been produced between fans and management team players has been absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, there's a section, you probably see them when you come to East End at the, the North West stand um, who are there. Every week it's packed out, it's sold out for the season. There's over 3,500 season tickets been sold this year. Crowds are really big. There was near 5,500 at the Morton game on Saturday. So the connection's um, there and the, there's a real feeling that they're building something special. And it was interesting because last season, a lot of the success it was built on defensive solidity, being able to um, hit teams on, on the break, essentially, um, in, in a lot of cases. But they've been capable of a lot of really good football as well. And on Saturday there, James said that he reckoned the first half against Morton was the best they've played since he came into the job, which is high praise because there's been a lot of good football as well. They've maybe not been the most free-scoring team under this charge, but, but certainly they've got a lot of exciting players at the top end of the pitch. And they're achieving... Um, what they have been so far this season without a host of regular players um, that would be not just in the squad, but possibly, probably in the starting 11 as well, um, that they're having to do without with injury as well. So, so no, um, they've done a fantastic job and, and certainly the fans have bought into absolutely everything that they're, they're doing. And lastly, just a word on Saturday's game coming up. We've just recorded our preview of that game and we were maybe thinking Dunfermline might sniff blood after a poor result for Thistle the weekend maybe foreseen quite an open game. There were still a few predictions of, of Thistle wins, but somebody has predicted a 3-0 Dunfermline win, which I must say is very unlike us. We're usually quite a positive podcast. So just a word on what sort of game you're expecting and a score prediction to round off, please, as well. I think it'll probably be quite an open game, to be honest, because I would expect, um, well, Thistle certainly be looking for a reaction. I certainly didn't see that result um, coming for you on Saturday, even in respect of our both good recent form. Um, I certainly didn't see that coming. Obviously, I haven't seen you a lot, but what I have seen from last season, I know it's also a wee bit different squad and, and stuff this season, but um, certainly I know that um, clearly Chris Dillon likes to play in the front field, likes to play attack football. We've got some good attacking players, obviously we've mentioned likes of Stevie Law or some people like that. Um, so I would expect a reaction from Thistle. I would, I would expect them you know, to, to come out and, and really try and impress Dunfermline. But certainly if if that's the case, Dunfermline have got the ability to, to hit on the counter-attack you know, I've mentioned Lewis McCann. Michael Halloran's come in as well in the last couple of weeks. He's been absolutely um, excellent. Apparently, he was really good again on, on Saturday. Um, so they have got, you know, the attacking weaponry at the, the top end of the, the pitch. Um, and I think the Scottish Cup tie in January, um, I, I don't see it being too dissimilar to that game because I thought that was a really open, good game. Both teams kind of went for it. Both teams had, a, had chances in that one. Um, so I don't expect it to be too much different. I think it'll be close. I don't see, I don't see us, you know, coming in maybe winning two or three 0 or anything like that. I, I think the games between us. I know we've mentioned a few kind of high-scoring games already earlier on, but I, I don't particularly see it being the case this weekend. Um, but I think it should be a good game. I think it should be a good game for the neutral. Um, and I'm always kind of, you know, a bit hesitant to. to Tip them thermal wins, but I think I think I've got to. I think I've got to tip them. So I'll, I'll go for a two-one pars win on Saturday. We'll allow that because you've been such an insightful guest. We'll allow a, a Dunfermline win prediction. Um, Ross, David, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for listening to to this special episode of Draw Lose or Draw. We'll be back next month to to have a look at another side in the championship, and we'll be back on Thursday with our review of the defeat against our growth and previewing the said game against Dunfermline. In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>